So the first reading is from Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. <coughs> in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what, the, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. So any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the inventory, gold dishes, 30, silver dishes, 1,000, silver pans, 29, gold bowls, 30, matching silver bowls, 410, other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Sheshbazar brought all these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. And the second reading is from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts for we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Thanks, Brenda. Thanks, Danny. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you at church this morning. It's especially good to be with you um, because my family and I have just had a week's holiday, and so we're feeling refreshed. It's great to be here with you in person. 
But it's also really good to have those of you who are joining us online here with us. In fact, Sarah and I, during our time away, were able to go down to Jindabyne and uh, send our greetings from Fig Tree in person to Trent and Alice over at the Village Church. And um, we found out that uh, some of the members of that congregation uh, have been joining us online. So a special welcome to you guys. It's um, lovely to know that there's family members of the Lord from all over the place gathering here with us. And uh, what a treat that was. As Langdon said, we're starting a new series and thinking about what it means to be committed as Christ. And of course, every week here at Fig Tree Anglican Church, we open the Bible because the Bible is God's word to us. It tells us who he is and who we are and how we're to live together in relationship with him and one another and grow in faith together. But of course, we do so knowing that total faith and obedience to God's word is not something that we're capable of. That's why he sent his son Jesus into the world, to fulfill the word of God. And people, of course, have always, as God's people, been given the opportunity throughout history to grow in faith in God. And so uh, over these next few weeks together for our commitment series, we're going to look at some of the historical people of God those who were caught up in the historical books that are described for us in Ezra and Nehemiah, which we're going to look at together as one book, because that's how it originally was. Um, it, unless you're reading the Masoretic text right now from Qumran, it's more than likely that your Bibles has got it divided into Ezra and Nehemiah, but originally those two volumes were together. And the context, of course, was the fact that the northern kingdom of Israel had gone into exile because they'd been plundered by Assyria, and the southern kingdom of Judah had gone into exile because they'd been plundered by Babylon. But in the intervening time, uh, Babylon had been then taken over by Persia, and Persia was a nation that was a lot more into embracing vassal states, uh, keeping a kind of national integrity, but keeping rule over them. And so the context of what we read in Ezra and Nehemiah, and let me encourage you to have a look at that during the course of, of the week uh, to get ahead of the curve in terms of the story so far, was that a handful of God's people would soon return to Jerusalem. And we meet in Ezra and Nehemiah a number of the people that God had set aside for some very particular jobs that they would do. You remember how recently we looked at Ephesians, and in Ephesians 4, we saw that there are some particular roles that God gives people for a season. He did it for the apostolic mission. He does it today, and we're going to see a pioneer. We're going to see a prophet. We're going to see a pastor. We're going to see a preacher, and we're going to see a project manager. Do we see all of those in Ephesians 4? I don't think so. But just have a look with me. Uh, we've got Zerubbabel, and uh, he's a pioneer who wants to bring God's people back home. We've got Ezra. He's a bit of a word nerd. He takes the Bible really seriously. And uh, we see Nehemiah. He's the project manager. He's going to go and help build up the walls of Jerusalem. And then we see Haggai and Zechariah, who are prophets, who basically predict some big leadership fails. And um, then Ezra and Nehemiah oblige us in that. And uh, we see Malachi, who's a preacher, pointing us in the context of leadership failure to the future King and Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus, who gets it right. And then, for our special Thanksgiving dinner, uh, we're going to meet uh, an extra special guest 
prophet, who I'm going to keep in my back pocket for fun, and you can look forward to finding out who that is. Um, we're going to learn some lessons from these people. We're going to learn that they have big hearts for God, uh, but we're also going to see that um, they frequently uh, fail because they're flawed, just like you and me. It's good to be in good company, isn't it? <laughs> oh, what a, what a great thing it is that God gives us these, these characters. They want to see change for good in the world, and they want to see God glorified, but they don't get it right all the time. And we're going to find some solidarity with them, which is cool. And the reason is, the truth is, the reason that happens is because um, they cannot, in their own strength, bring about the heart change that's needed. And nor can we. God is the one who brings about the heart change in his people. Actually, Nehemiah ends up getting quite angry with the people of God and starts beating them up. Sounds a bit rough, doesn't it? Goodness me, that's not a good model at all. I'm sure you think. Um, anyway, Ezra, Nehemiah, the other prophets, all the verses that we read, they all ultimately point us to the person of Jesus, Messiah. And today, brothers and sisters, once we put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live in us. And he's the one who slowly but surely transforms our hearts so that our desires increasingly reflect the desires of God's heart. And so as we look at this series, Committed as Christ, we're going to look at some key areas of our life together as well. We're going to think about treasures. Thanks, Catherine. We're going to think about our testimony. We're going to think about our talents. We're going to think about our time, and then we're going to think about what it means to be totally committed as Christ. And then for our special Jubilee uh, evening together, we're going to look with thanksgiving. And as we look at each of these areas, we're going to be reminded that actually all these belong to God. They're His. And so we're going to ask Him to shape us in these areas and increasingly give us hearts after His heart. Um, we're also going to have a bit of fun because October is a, is a month jam-packed with Jewish festivals. And so every week I'm going to give us a little taste of each of those that align with what's going on with our Jewish friends and our Jewish brothers and sisters as they celebrate. But the big idea for us today is this. Christ was committed. How will we commit our treasures to him? Christ was committed. How will we commit treasures to him? And I'm going to pray. Would you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Father God, as we come to your word, <clears throat> which is inspired by your spirit, and will achieve the purposes for which you send it today, because you promised that it will, uh, we remember the words of Solomon as he dedicated the first temple, where he said, if my people called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away in repentance from their wickedness, then I would hear from heaven and I would forgive them their sins and I would bring healing to their land. Father God, we come to you recognizing the need for us to repent of a great many things. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us a posture with arms open wide to our Father in heaven to search us by the scriptures and to respond in repentance and faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So three points today. The first one is this. It is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, a repentant 
remnant. This week has been the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, which is Hebrew for the head of the year. And if you happen to have, I know there's not many Jewish people in the Illawarra, I did some homework, um, but if you do happen to have a Jewish friend or neighbor and you want to encourage them this week, you may say, Lashana Tova Tikatenu, which basically means Happy New Year. And um, it, it's a time in which Jewish people reflect on their commitments. It's a celebration established in Leviticus. Chapter 23, verses 23 to 25, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, you to have a day of Sabbath rest. It's a sacred gathering commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. And during the period of last Monday, which was Rosh Hashanah, and what is coming up next week, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, for the Jews, we'll hear more about that next week, that's a season of repentance. It's called the Days of Awe. That is a season in which Jewish people look at God, not in fear, and certainly not for us in Christ in fear, but in honor and rightful posture, spending time with God, looking at the year that has gone. You know, like at New Year, we often make resolutions. It's a new year, clean sweep, going to make resolutions, and then I'm going to break them by week two. Well, it's, it's, it's actually similar to that, only in God's strength, it's in the hope that um, change will come. And so for His glory and with humility, um, we too, in Christ, can look to God and I'd like to encourage us to do that this week, to kind of adopt a repentant posture, if we might, together as a church. Because when we read in Proverbs 1.7, we see fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and God calls all to repent. Firstly, to repent of their rejection of Jesus Messiah, and to recognize Him as Savior and King. And for those of us who gather here today, we, by His grace, have come to a place of knowing that Jesus is Lord. That's the first repentance. But don't we also, secondly, need to repent every day? Because we get sopped up with self-centeredness, don't we? And we still continue to sin. And we've got to take these things back to God again and again, but we do so secure in His Son. We, we do so knowing that we have forgiveness in the name of Jesus, who has made the final atonement on the cross for us, made us right with God. And so with our repentance, there comes rejoicing. When we take our brokenness and our failures to God, who freely forgives us in Jesus, we can come out of that knowing that we're secure and rejoicing in repentance. And so um, when we're thinking about this, this new year, um, it's also helpful, I think, to recognize that it, it is called a festival of repentance. It, it's the Feast of Trumpets. It's a call to repent. It is, it is also known as the day of blowing, blowing the horn, blowing the trumpet, blowing the shafar. And I happen to have here with me a shafar. This is a ram's horn. Shall I give it a shot? It didn't do very well at 8 o'clock. Let's see if I can do any better this time. Nah. Sorry, guys. I'll tell you what I did. I pre-recorded one earlier. So if you go look up Robin Kinstead blowing shofar, um, there is a little video of me getting it right. <laughs> 
Uh, my daughter picked it up, did it first time. She's a flautist. And she, it sounded beautiful. A lot better than that did. Um, anyway, the, um, the, the, the Jewish gatherings come together. The shofar is blown to bring God's people together uh, at the Feast of Trumpets at Rosh Hashanah to sit and repent and also to reflect on how they've committed themselves in his service. So it's timely for us. The reason it's a ram's horn, by the way, just to have a little look, Genesis 22. You remember how Abraham was called by God to sacrifice Isaac? And then um, uh, Abraham, by faith, even though he knew Isaac was the child of promise, went up there to the mountain. He said God would provide. Do you remember what God provided? As a ram in the thicket, as a substitute. Because God was saying to Abraham, while all the nations around you kill their kids, we don't do this. And he provided the ram, and the ram's horn is a reminder to God's people when they come together that the reason that they are the children of promise, as we are in Christ, is because God provides the perfect substitute, the ram, ultimately provides the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. Anyway, it's a season of repentance, and it's an opportunity for Jews to look at the treasures that God has entrusted to them and give them back to God. And so that is what I'd like to encourage us to do this week in repentance. But we do so in the context of knowing, ultimately, that repentance is fulfilled in Jesus, Messiah. See, for Jews today, resolutions in the new year, um, sometimes uh, going back to Hosea, thank you, um, Catherine, they, they want to return to God because it's God's command to do so. Sometimes Jews will go to uh, return to God to repent of sinfulness in the, in the manner of David. You remember David and Bathsheba in Psalm 51? Sometimes it's a matter of kind of building a, a, a new spiritual roadmap for the year ahead, almost like a sort of self-help program, uh, reading through Mishnah and Talmud, which are like commentaries on the Torah. And sometimes it's the Zionist movement that looks for a political angle on the establishment and furtherance of the state of Israel. But for Jews who know Jesus, and for Gentiles who know Jesus, for those who follow Jesus, it's all about the person of Jesus himself. Remembering that God's Son, Messiah, emptied himself of heavenly glory and took on Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11, the nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he was obedient to death on a cross. And so God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the wonderful thing about that is that, that Jesus has modeled the fullness of commitment to us. How we will commit to him. In the safety of his grace, with repentant hearts, what might that look like? Well, I want us to build a foundation and this is my second point, and we're going to turn now to Ezra. Um, just as the foundation of restored relationship with God is repentance now, so it was for God's people in exile in Babylon, now Persia. Israel and Judah had failed in their obedience to God over many nations. And God said to them in Deuteronomy, if you live in obedience, you will have the blessings but if you disobey me, you will get the bruisings. And the bruisings came in the form of God's people being taken out of the promised land, and they'd been taken off into captivity for 70 years, and they would hope to return. And God sent prophets to say, you will make it back in the person of Isaiah, in the person of Jeremiah. And then in accordance with the word of God, Ezra chapter one, verse one, what do we read? We see in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, it's Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 23, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. <coughs> God's people had lived in, Israel, in exile, hoping to return to Jerusalem, and God fulfilled his promise through whom? The foreign king, the occupying nation. Did you see what it says there? The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. Cyrus was the all-powerful Persian king. He didn't have to send the Jews back to the land, but God moved him to be an agent of God's fulfilling of his promise. And so it is this foreign king who gives his go-ahead. He gives a decree, and he will in fact do the same decree for Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah in the weeks ahead, because he understood himself to have been appointed by God to establish the temple for God's people. In verses 2 to 4, we heard it read, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me, Cyrus, all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, in Judah. And who would go? Everyone amongst God's people who'd been exiled? No. The family heads of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, they prepared to go to build the house for the Lord in Jerusalem, verse 5. But notice that it is those who God had moved hearts of. Once again, it says in verse 5, everyone whose heart God had moved. And so God gave them pioneering leadership to lead the way as he moved the hearts of Cyrus and he moved the hearts of some of God's people, excuse me, <coughs> and he sent Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, under the direction of Joshua and Zerubbabel, a team that would go and build the altar of God uh, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So he raised up Zerubbabel, this pioneering planter. He's uh, taking the first wave of exiles back from Babylon. He leads this large group of people to rebuild the temple. And what do they take with them? Did you see what was listed there? It was basically all the family silver. It was all the crockery. It was all the stuff that had been taken out of the temple. And indeed, then Cyrus said to his own people, give them more stuff. This was basically the money they needed to build the temple. All the treasures went back with Zerubbabel and his team. And Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, in the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God of Jerusalem, Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the others supervised the building of the house for the Lord. They joined together in supervising the work. And how good it looks. The foundation got laid. They began to build the building. Yes, there was some opposition on the way, but in accordance with the promise of God, the temple was being re-established and some of God's people are being put back in the land. And we read in chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, there was praise and thanksgiving. There was words saying, God is good, his love for Israel endures forever. But many of the older people there who had seen the former temple wept aloud. There's praise and there's weeping. Why? Because it was nothing like the former temple. It was a shadow of Solomon's temple. 
and the other expectation that God Himself would come and be there as a presence in the temple, as promised in Ezekiel and Zechariah, and that His kingdom would be for all nations and there would be unity, according to Isaiah 2 and Zechariah 8, all the promises to Abraham simply did not come to be. God's presence was not visible in this new temple. And indeed, when some of the people who'd been left in Jerusalem, that remnant, came to Zerubbabel and said, hey, we're here too, can we help build the temple? Zerubbabel sent them away with a flea in their ear. You're going to have nothing to do with this, he said. And so it seems that there's division and there's not God's presence. And what we need in that picture is something to <coughs> excuse me, provide hope and redemption for the future. And we will see as we go through this series and through Ezra and Nehemiah, that this future hope, this beacon for the future is constantly in play. And that, of course, is the final temple, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, in whom his spirit dwelt fully, come into the world. And of course, today, the temple that is you and me, because in Christ, we have his spirit in us. And that's the point I want us to kind of step over into the modern day. We leave Ezra and Nehemiah and we think about what it means for us today, for those of us who are in Christ, looking back to those who had committed their treasures and their commitment to building the temple, what treasures might look for us today, like for us today, that God has entrusted to us for our God, a good and for his glory. So my third and final point is what might it look like to leave a centenary legacy? A little bit earlier, we heard about um, Commitment Month. This is what October is. And the, at the end of it, we're going to have a special Golden Jubilee celebration. We're going to look at that over the weeks ahead as well, where we move to a point of thanksgiving. Looking back on the legacy that was left for us as a church 50 years ago, when we were established as a full parish. I know there was history before that as well. But that was the point at which God saw fit, if you like, to let us come of age but also what it might mean for us as the current generation to leave a legacy for the next 50 years so that those, if the Lord does not return, who will celebrate the centenary can look back at you and me and give thanks to God for the legacy that we might leave. And I encourage you, if you haven't got your letter already, as Langdon said, to grab it on the way out. But when we speak about treasures and when we speak about cash and when we speak about financial resources, some of us feel a little bit shifty, don't we, in our seats we don't like talking about money. You may remember when I kicked off here at Fig Tree, I had some references to Star Trek. I do like Star Trek. I also very much like the fact that in Star Trek, they live in a world where money is no longer needed. And I think that looks like a very happy place. But for now, we have money in our lives, and I'm going to speak to it, but I want to speak to it in the context of relationship. So first things first, we are God's little treasures. We are God's little treasures. You know, in Matthew 6, our second reading, Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior and the King of the universe, says that you and I can come to God as little children. He says, when you pray, start like this, Father, Father God. That's the relationship that we have with God. He is the one who disciples our hearts. And he says, pray to your Father in heaven. What does he say in verses 9 to 13? He says, ask God to teach us to honor him. Ask God to move our hearts to be more in line with his heart. 
Ask God to teach us to have faith in his daily provision. Not too little, not too much. He says, ask God to teach us to share the forgiveness that he has shown us, not as an afterthought, but as a forethought. He says, ask God to teach us to follow him in discipline and to do good because anything less than good is evil. And so we come to God thinking about the treasures he's entrusted to us, knowing that we are his little treasures. If Jesus has laid down his life for us and gives us assurance in death, how much more might we trust God as great provider for everything in this lifetime? In other words, we don't have to be grabby. Secondly, his treasures are for heavenly purposes. I just want you to have a little thought for a moment with me. Where would you place Australia on the world income scale? Do you think we're in the top 50%? Do you think we're in the top 10%? Do you think we're in the top 5%? We are. And we've also managed to rack up, as of this year, a $1 trillion debt. Talk about intergenerational legacy as a nation. Well, Jesus gives life. Jesus gives us the riches of an eternal kingdom. And Jesus says to us, as I have been committed to you, how will you be committed to my purposes? What does it look like for us to give sacrificially? Matthew 6, Jesus says, verses 19 to 21, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth because moths and vermin will destroy it and thieves will take it away from you, but rather store yourselves up treasures in heaven where no moth and vermin can destroy, no thieves can take away. And then he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Brothers and sisters, can I say, and I see this in myself, so I'm not saying this to you, I'm saying this with us all under the word of God, follow the money. Does the money in your life, in my life, go to spend and save, or does it go to share and serve? Because Jesus says to the rich, what does he say to them? <laughs> it's, it's peppered throughout the Gospel of Luke especially, go, sell, give, follow. We've got a lot of assets, right? That's a real challenge. I mean, I have to say, folks, if you own a property in the Illawarra, um, over the last 10 years, it's pretty likely you've become a millionaire, Right? Or not far off it, right? I mean, we've all got mortgages, and I, I, but, but let's face it, we are wealthy. And so, and this is a challenge to all of us. I wonder whether this week we might think about the treasures that God has entrusted to us and just wonder whether we might need to recalibrate some of our spending and saving in favor of serving and sharing. Because I know that's our story as a family. It, it, maybe, it's, maybe it's something for us all to reflect on. I, I, I know that you want a safe space to talk about this kind of stuff, right? Because talking about money's awkward. But our life groups are good spots, aren't they? Our families are good spots. I mean, it's necessary in families to talk about budgeting and what have you. I wonder whether we might feel secure enough to talk in our life groups about some of this stuff because the Bible studies we've got written for this week, 
look at exactly this topic. Would, would you be willing to share some of that stuff with your trusted brothers and sisters there? I do think we talk about tithing quite a lot. Um, I don't know whether all of us tithe. Do you know what a tithe is? It's an Old Testament idea of setting aside a certain amount of your money. Tithing at, at 10% of income. Isn't that right? That's no, not, actually. <laughs> 10% goes to the church family. Uh, actually, when you read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, 1 Chronicles and Proverbs, what you end up with a picture of is in fact that there's 10% to the church family, 10% to the temple, and every three years, 10% to those who are in need. So technically, if we were all tithing here out of our gross incomes, that would be 23.3% of our gross income every year. I think that's a challenging tithe, don't you? Um, maybe for some of us that's, that's a no-brainer, I don't know, but, but you know that, that challenged me as I was thinking about this over the course of the last month or so. And when we think God's thoughts after him in terms of building up treasures in heaven, I have to say, thirdly, our temptation is to toy with his treasures. The challenge for us is to follow the money because how we spend shows where our hearts are. And Jesus says in verse 24 of chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other, but you simply cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said that. The Apostle Paul said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And just to drive the point home. I've, I've got a little video that I found that I wanted to share with you. W would you watch this with me? It's kind of fun. Oh, I couldn't. Well, maybe just a bite.
brought the pie. Dude, he brought the pie. The author of the Hebrews says, uh, to the Hebrews says, first thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 5 to 6, make sure that your character is free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he himself has said in Deuteronomy 31, I will never desert you and I will never forsake you. So we can confidently say, Psalm 118, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. Holmes Holidays, holiday homes, education, gifts, upgrades, entertainment. Where can we make amendments, brothers and sisters, to show our spending and share with one another? Um, I've got a friend who's uh, a kind of high net worth individual, and he gets together every month with a bunch of other Christians, a little ginger group, and uh, they get together. And they find things that are going on for growing God's kingdom. And then one of them will say, I found this project, looks really good. For the glory of God, I'll put in 100,000. And then the next one I'll say, you're only putting in 100, I'll put in 200,000. And then, and and that's how they work with one another. Now, now that sounds a bit like showboating, right? (laughs) But it's not, because they're there to encourage and spur one another on in love and good deeds. And I wonder whether we can take a note out of their book. I mean, not all of us have got 100,000. Whether it's for 10,000 or 1,000 or for a dollar or for the cents. As we disciple one another and our next generations for what it looks like to share out God's pie for God's glory. And I have to say, already in 2022, I've been blown away. We, we, we put a figure together as a lead team and said, let's try and raise a $10,000 commitment to support refugees in Ukraine. And, and we raised $56,000, praise God, for the glory of God. And then we've, we've set aside a, a target for $112,000 for our World Missions Conference. And praise God, we've raised $106,508 uh, uh, for that initiative. It's extraordinary generosity, isn't it? Hearts after God's hearts. 106 out of 112. By God's grace, we seek to be a faithful, adventurous, compassionate church with expanding influence as we build a community of grace committed to raising disciples of Jesus through our regular giving, through our special giving, through our sacrificial giving, through the bequests that we can leave, through our wills, through the superannuation provisions that we can make. There's a lot of creative financial solutions, aren't there? And some of us have skills in this area, and we'll talk about sharing our skills later. But as we approach the end of this month, Monday the 31st of October, for our golden jubilee, and come together with thanksgiving for all that God has done for the last 50 years, I want to challenge us in October to think about what leaving a legacy might look like for us individually and as a church as we repent and redeem and rejoice and review and return to our God. Uh, This commitment letter 
basically outlined some of the uh, considerations from your lead team and parish council that we're looking to for next year to simply get our house in order, to kind of get us ready as a platform for ongoing ministry into the future. It's an opportunity to read and discuss and pray and commit cheerfully, as in 2 Corinthians 9, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, but with joy, giving back to God in response to the grace that he's shown us and for the blessing and privilege it is to invest in gospel eternal kingdom work. Preparing us to use his treasures now to be leaving a centenary legacy. And so to conclude, you've heard me say this before, I'm a great fan of both the English and the Aussie breakfast. And what is that exactly? It's bacon and eggs, isn't it? Again, as we go into the week ahead, I just want us to remember the distinction between the chicken who was involved and the pig who was fully committed. <laughs> if Christ was committed to us, how might us committing his treasures to him look? Every day and every dollar for Jesus. Every second and every cent for Jesus. I'm going to give us an opportunity to pray together now, and I'm, I'm going to move us to a time of confession, repentance, and rejoicing in the absolution that Jesus gives us. That is his grace in which we live together. And the words are going to come up on screen, if we could lose the pig and the chicken, <laughs> and move into a moment with our Heavenly Father. Would you... Take a moment just to read these words. And the next screen, thank you, Catherine. And then the next screen, thank you. And if we could go back to the, together, we'll, say, we'll pray the words of the confession to our Father in heaven, and then we'll be affirmed, and then I'm going to pray another prayer to, prayer to close. Would you join me in prayer as we move into this month of commitment? Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us clean from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet, we still fail to love you and serve you as we should. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace that we may continue to grow as members of Christ in whom alone is our salvation. Amen. God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and turn to his son, Jesus Christ, in whom there is no condemnation. Amen. Father God, we pray that you'd help us give in faith the treasures you've entrusted to us as your children. We give back to you in repentance where we have gripped tightly to earthly wealth. And as we journey together through our commitment series, we pray you may move our hearts and empower us by your spirit that we may be found faithful, adventurous, and compassionate as your disciples who delight in making disciples, who delight even to carry our cross and to follow our Saviour and King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you.